Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Political This That podcast. I am so fortunate. It is the last week of Black History. I'm so, so grateful to be joined by Counselor Ariel. Hello, hello. Hi, 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 everybody who's listening. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. No problem. So, of course, for every um, guest, I let them do their own bio so they can introduce themselves, pronouns, who you are. So, my name is Ariel Kabaga. I'm the city counselor for London, Ontario, which is the downtown area. Um, and um, I go by she or her or N. Um, and I currently stand on the land of the Anishinaabe people, uh, including the Ojibwe, Odawa, Potawatomi nations, the Haudenosaunee people, uh, Mohawk, Oneida, Cayuga. Onondaga, Seneca, and Tuscara, the Lenni Lenape people uh, referred to as Delaware and Muncie's. And we are currently surrounded by three um, uh, indigenous nations, the Chupas of the Thames, the Oneida Nation, and the Muncie Delaware Nation. And uh, I'm a mom of one 11 year old, soon 12. It's kind of crazy to even say that out loud. Um, and yeah, I'm a friend, I'm a sister, I am a lot of extension to a lot of people in my community as well that's good that's good so we start off with a little bit of question period so it's got a little, little um cool question so the first question i have for you is like what's your favorite place to grab food in london ontario oh um i have a couple of places actually so i want to mention a few if i'm uh, if i'm feeling like i want nachos you know i'm gonna check out beer town because they have amazing nachos. Uh, if I feel like I want fish and chips and some other special goodies, I go to Marcy House, which also offers a um, 12% discount on Tuesdays for women because of the, the, uh, the gender disparity gap, the gap, the pay gap that we have with uh, women. Uh, if I want coffee, I go to Locomotives, my favorite coffee shop. If I want, um, you know, African food. If I'm up for African food, I go to Vos Cuisine for some Nigerian jollof. So, Ooh. yes. Is the African cuisine in London? Is it a lot? Is there diversity there? There is. There hasn't been a lot of diversity yet. Uh, we do have Ethiopian food and uh, lots of Ethiopian food and Nigerian food. Basically, I haven't seen any other Niger uh, African food other than the two. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that's good to have some diversity with the content of Africa and their culture and their food. What's your favorite, what's your current favorite song at the moment? It could be from any genre, but what's something that gets you going currently? Ginger. By Bernard yeah. Boy and Wizkid? Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. I have, I play that uh, nonstop. Tenny, the entertainer, who is also mm -hmm. a Nigerian artist, is my favorite, by, like my all-time favorite. Everybody's sick of her in my house. But right now I'm abusing um, Ginger. It's a good that song this morning. It's a such yeah. nice song. It just gets you going and vibing. Yeah, it's a vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the more you pay attention to the words, like you're like, what? But um, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Currently, what's the um my next question is what's something that's happened on council? Kind of like kind of spilling the tea if you can. What's something that mm -hmm. happened at council, either exciting or very interesting that you can share to the people? uh exciting um i mean other than having what we had one meeting that was really short once and that was exciting because we that never happens mm -hmm. uh, our meeting can go on up to six seven eight hours um and this meeting was like 10 minutes but exciting um it's a very formal setting um 
I don't think of excitement when I think of councils. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I can't really think of anything right now. Um, anything that's happened on council that most people don't know or things that happen on council that people don't know and that you can tell us or you're allowed to tell us? Mm-hmm. Good or bad? I mean, everything is made public, right? Like mm-hmm. we, the municipal government is the most like public government that's out there. Uh, you can have access to all of our meetings through online and um, you can catch all of our documents uh, online. Even the, our in-camera meetings eventually are made public. Um, so I don't know what okay. people wouldn't know. I think people don't pay attention sometimes. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening. We are moving uh, forward with our recovery network um, ideas that came from the community as well. Um, we are hopefully are going to eventually start seeing um, our BRT, half of our BRT plan be implemented. So that's something that some people who just recently moved to London do not know. Um, the proclamation policy that I moved as well um, is something that many people don't know and don't apply for. Um, I wish more people would apply for proclamations. Um, so I'm maybe figuring out how to communicate that. But otherwise, we are very transparent, or at least we try to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think municipal government is the most transparent government out there. I was just going to say, I feel like just going off your point, municipal, like you're talking about end camera and stuff like that. Yes, provincial and federal do have it, but it's not as transparent. Like I've had Matthew Green and they talk about like there's certain things that happen in the House of Commons that we don't see or we don't hear of until afterwards. So it's good that at least we have some level yeah. of government as transparent as possible. Yeah. yeah and like, like federal government is happening in Ottawa. So I'm sure like in Ottawa, like it's conversation every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're in London and things are happening in Ottawa, people are not going to pay attention to that. So the focus really remains on the municipal government. So there's no room for you to do something and it not be no like your tweet can become the news day. So um yeah, it's it's very in people's faces. You can't move in silence in London. That's what you're basically telling me. You cannot move in silence now. <laughs> you got to be skilled to move in silence. Yes. Very fair. Yeah. And then um, last question I have for question periods. What's the coolest thing you've experienced? What's the coolest thing about being like a Black woman, a Black politician to you? The coolest thing. The coolest thing is um, being able to connect with a lot of people, um, you know, hearing a lot of very beautiful stories of people who relate to me and to my story, um, and not just like feeling like only Black women feel represented by me, but a lot of young women feel represented by me, a lot of single moms feel represented by me, a lot of immigrants, a lot of refugees, um, lots of university students, um so that's I find that really cool I find that uh being able to navigate all those spaces and having those connections um has been one of the most enriching um thing in my life like just also getting to know these people and the stories and 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 being inspired you know by who they are and their existence so yeah I think that's that's been one of my biggest moments that I'm like I'm so humbled every single time and I I get emotional. I'm not super emotional, but I get very emotional about, about that. 
And we thank you for just being there for people like me to see like someone there, not just also speaking about the issues that are important too. Because it's one thing to represent the people, whether you're representing your own writing or you're representing um, a community, but it's another thing to actually talk about the issues. So we're very, very, I appreciate and very thankful for that. And then going to the main question. So the first thing is tell us more about your role as counselor in London. I think when people hear politics and so forth that they're always focused on federal, provincial, and even they may not know the understanding of an MPP or an MP. And then even now municipal, most people don't pay as much attention to municipal um, politics and government. So tell us more about your role as a counselor. What does that entail? So um, municipal government is actually was born out of uh, the necessity of uh, doing social work, you know, advocacy for social uh, supports for people, um, because before when there was just, you know, the higher levels of governments, they were, um, they're leaving out the people, basically, and, and, and as you know, municipal governments are in charge of, uh, of cities altogether, and so I think people should be paying a lot more attention to municipal governments than they do provincial and federal, like, don't continue to pay attention to every levels of governments, but um, municipal government, uh, I think it was, I was at a meeting where Jagmeet Singh said, um, if the federal government was to disappear today, it would take at least four months before people noticed. If the provincial government was to disappear today, it would take two months before people noticed. But if the municipal government was to disappear today, people will know within an hour and there will be outrage across the country. Um, because we deal with their day-to-day um, things like garbage pickups. Um, we keep the city functioning. We keep the city rolling. Um, and then there's the extension of, you know, planning, uh, engineering the city, urban, the urban plans, and, and other social things that we do. Um, there's no reason why municipal government is, uh, as is right now, it's very... Um, saturated by conservatism, which shouldn't be that way, especially in smaller towns. It shouldn't be that way because originally municipal government was set out to fight for social issues of of the people. Um, But municipal government also is in charge of budgeting, making sure that we're making appropriate decisions on where the money goes, different pockets of the money that we collect from property taxes, um, setting property tax levels, and, and that's, that's the kind of decisions that we make, um, but also just kind of like the leadership and representing the voices of the people who elected you. That's that's what I do. And another important thing, I think people also forget is that municipal elections and municipal government is um, nonpartisan. So you have provincial, you have federal, you have like liberal, conservative, NDP, green, so forth. Municipal, municipal is um, municipal government is not partisan. So therefore, when you're electing someone, you're not electing them based on party. You're just electing them off their scale and be like, do I feel like this person represents my writing in this city as best as possible? Yeah, correct. And are are are, are taking care of the city uh, in, in the way that they should and are are being inclusive mm-hmm. because sometimes you know a lot of cities are not inclusive of, of the people. They don't represent the people that live there. So it's important to have, you know, that representation and making sure that we're bringing in the voices of the people who actually live in the city. So, yeah. What made you say, I want to get into politics specifically with municipal politics and kind of talk to us about your journey in going into politics? Um, so I really didn't know much of what municipal government did at first. Um, I just signed up to be in this course that connected me to a city councilor. And while I was with that city councilor, um, there was a lot of discussions that were being had, but particularly on 
homelessness, housing, and uh, transit. But and I just like listen to some of the comments that are being made and 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 realizing the faces, you know, the people who sat around that table and thinking, of course, there's a lot of people left out because this government doesn't really represent or reflect the the experiences and the lived experiences of many people who live in this city. And that's when I decided I was going to run. Um, it seemed like a like a joke at the time. It wasn't a joke. I wasn't joking. I think a lot of people thought I was joking, but I really wasn't joking. And came May 1st, I put my name in the hat and um, I gave it my all and I got elected. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, um, but it was important to me um, because like we can, we can work together as a community to try and bring in change. We can have different conversations, but at the end of the day, like the money needs to be present to be able to do the work. Um, and policies really inform where the money goes, right? So if you don't put the policies in the right place, you can spend your entire life trying to do something and it's not going to happen because the policymakers are not really backing what um, you're saying. So I want to sit at the tables where policies are being discussed so we can talk about the ways that we can reform these policies that have long informed a system that is not inclusive and oppressive to a lot of people. Policies are the foundation of politics. I think people focus more on getting people elected and so forth, which is very important. But like you said, if the policies are not in there, if counselors and MPPs and MPs are not putting the, uh, putting informative policies down for the people, then what's the point of government? Right, correct. So next question is, what has been the best day and your worst day as counselor so far? My best day? my best day was when we we anonymously passed the motion i moved to uh, implement an anti-racist lens on our budget and on all service areas um, i knew it was going to be challenging doing the work and it has proved to be to be very challenging i will continue to work on that however the fact that it's part of our policy uh, like i said policies inform you know, the next steps, they inform where the budget is going to go, they inform, you know, the, the way we hire people, the way we, we include people, right? So it's the beginning, it's the beginning piece. It's like when you're building your house, like you have to have a foundation. So mm -hmm. policy is the firm foundation of what we're trying to do. And so that was where I was seeing, and I continue to see, you know, I'm a believer of policy. Uh, and I, I, I may, you know, we need to all work together. Different pieces come together to formulate um, the bigger thing. And my thing is policy. Like I'm always like, let's see the policy. Let's read it. Let's make sure that, you know, it has all the things that it need to be able to hold this house together. And the houses is whatever else is going to go on top of it. So um, I was really happy when that was supported. And I, um, I, I knew it was going to take a lot of work and it's going to take some time to be able to um, accomplish everything that I, those policies are going to do by having an anti-racism lens on every single service area. And I'm not talking about the way we talk to people or the way that, you know, they hire people. Those things are also very important, but the foundation of it has to be from a place where um, we are actually going to remove other policies. Like this policy should cancel other policies that were creating that system where you mm -hmm. have to uh, you know, think about, oh, we need to create an, uh, you know, diverse and inclusion practice. We don't need that when we have a policy that has anti-racism lines. Mm -hmm. So little things like that, but eventually it'll grow. But that was a very, very exciting day. Knowing it was that- 2019, correct? 2019 or 2020? 
what year was it? Uh, it was last year, 2020. Yeah. And that was right after. Yeah, and, it, and we are the only city so far that has done that. And I encourage other cities to, you know, pick it up. I'm happy to work with them as well. And this is right around the time of the George Floyd and we saw the rise of Black Lives Matter. So the fact that London has been able to do to your hard work, to be honest, that they have been able to uh, implement this. During a global pandemic, I think it raises, it should raise eyes and it should raise eyebrows. And it should like, people should, like you said, other cities and other provinces and so forth. It should be like this. Even the federal government should adopt this policy. Cause if you have an anti-racism lens on your budget, you know what's going to happen to that mm -hmm. budget. That budget is going to be reflective, right? So, yeah, anti-oppression and anti-racism because we also want to make sure that women are also included into that mm -hmm. as well. For sure. Yeah. And then what has been like the worst day or the most challenging day being counselor so far? The most challenging day for me and worst day was when I was almost kicked off of council during a, a, a budgeting process that was... Um, it was a tough day. It was humiliating um, and it was emotionally taxing. And how have you been able to deal with the quote unquote backlash? I hate to use the word backlash, but when you have to deal with people so forth that kind of attack you, because you are a, a public servant and you have to deal with people who you've dealt with people saying death threats, you've dealt with people being rude, um, him, um, attacking you and your family and stuff like that. How do you deal with that? And do you feel protected by your job? With, with that, if, with regards to that? Um, I, I, I go high when they go low, like Michelle said, but you know, um, I haven't felt the, ne the necessity to go low. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a believer that when you need to go low, go low. Um, I don't feel like I need to go low yet. Um, I protect myself. I gotta, I gotta make sure that in all things I'm kept safe and my son's kept safe because I can't do the work if I'm not here to do the work. So that's really important to me. Um, I do have quite uh, a support network of people who check in on me and make sure I'm okay. Um, and that was, that came out of, you know, a lot of the, the, the attacks that I've received. I welcome more people to join that support network. Um, it has been growing. Uh, it, it does feel lonely, though, regardless of how many people you uh, have who check in on you and, and stuff like that. It does It feels lonely, but I'm, I'm, I'm still fired up because we're not free yet. You know, mm -hmm. our policies have not changed. People don't have access to housing. People don't have access to adequate services uh, that they need. Uh, the pandemic is affecting us the way it is because of, of the failure of, of, of appropriate planning and policies in place. Um, so that shows that there's still a lot of work to be done. And as long as there is still work to be done, I'm going to have the energy and the fire to continue to do what I do. Um, but in the meantime, I cope with it by talking to someone, you know, um, letting it out, talking to my friends and family and it's a big thing for me as an as a caregiver to keep my son safe and to keep my family protected from everything. So I really do focus on that a lot, um, keeping them outside of everything. So we have little things that we do to make sure that you know um, we are kept safe. You know, the way we engage with the news is different mm -hmm. from how most people engage with the news and. And, and how many hours we spend listening to news and, and, and just kind of stuff like that. But it's also things that we've had to, to learn to do with COVID because with COVID, there are all the boundaries that there are between your job and, and, and you and, and family and everything else have all been crossed. So, yeah. 
the most important thing is that you're taking self-care and you're doing it for yourself you're making sure that yourself and your son are your biggest priority because we need people like you to fight the fight by the end of the day if you are not un- if you're not able to do it yourself then the work can't be done so you're you and your son absolutely. are your biggest priority absolutely you talked about support system so do you have i like to use this um sentence do you have a bonnie to your clyde in council or do you have someone like that who's by your side whether it be council or it could be outside of council I, know council can be I don't have a Bonnie and Clyde. I don't think um, I do have, I don't think I have a Bonnie. I have friends. I have mm-hmm. people who are, you know, who are supporters. Um, you know, counselor mostly and I work really well together where I can reach out and say, hey, I need to do this. Can you help me? And he'll help me. Um, or he's always checking in with me to make sure that I'm okay. Um, especially if we had a rough council meeting. Um, and a lot of times I'm like, I'm okay, you know, <laughs> but he, you know, he does, he goes the, the extra mile to call and say, yo, you okay? Just want to make sure that you're okay. Um, and he calls me sis, you know, and everybody's always like, why do you guys call each other sis and, and bro? And it's like, it is what it is, right? Um, but yeah, no, he he does check in on me. And I, and I have a very strong network of amazing women who also end the network of the political network who, who continue to be, um, kind of a support system and I'm, I'm now starting to see how many people actually are there for me you know sometimes it takes a moment to to to, to look out and, and, and put your eyes out and see all the people who are really backing you there's quite a bit of people who back me and um, who just show that their values um, are in the right place and do not want to see a woman being harassed for simply being a woman or because mm-hmm. of her skin color so yeah I think there's a lot of people. I can't name them all, um, but and my son, my son's my biggest like cheerleader. Like maybe he's my bonding fly. That can count. He's that counts like, as well. I mean, you're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's he's um, he's like my little mirror uh, when I need to 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 be energized. Like I can count on him to be like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to this city, or you're the best thing that's ever happened to, you know, and I'm like, oh that is so sweet. And if if if, if that's all he feels like, I feel it too. So I think your son no one else um, that I think what your son's saying is better than anyone else can say. Like who cares with like PM yeah, exactly. has to say as long as right? he says it and he thinks you're the best counselor at London in London, then that's the most important thing. And so how it is important when I hear it from him. I'm so happy to hear that you have people. I think politics is can be very isolated, can be lonely. Just to, so to hear that you have people around you and support system makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, okay, she's there and she's not doing this by herself because no one should, especially as Black women, we need each other as much as possible. Absolutely. And, and like I said, the network could always grow. So I'm not saying this so people can feel like, all right, cool, we're going to leave her alone. No, no, no. I want more people to be there for me because it, it is a lot of work that we do and and it can be very emotionally taxing, and especially with what we've all been through during COVID and the isolation that we've all experienced. I think it's good that we stay kind of like bonded together and, and keep that connection. So like, like we said, you are a counselor and municipal. And of course, with municipal um, government, you have to deal with federal and provincial government. So what do you think has, how do you, how does, how do you navigate municipal government with provincial government, especially with the current, where we see ourselves currently with the pandemic? How, how, how has it been to have to navigate with the provincial government? Because you, as a counselor, want to fight for the people of London and you want to implement X, Y, and Z, but you also have to rely 
on the provincial government to some extent. So how has that been? How's that journey been so far? For your question, um, we do have to work with the provincial government because if you're aware, uh, the municipal government is actually an extension of the, the provincial government. So we're kind of like under the provincial government. So we rely a lot on them and their support and their investments and everything they do affects us. So last year when we were budgeting, we had a $4 million download on the municipal, on our municipal government from the provincial. So it really impacted our everything, it impacted the way we do things. We had to cut stuff. We had to, a lot of things that were dropped off of the provincial government were now you know, our responsibility. And that's very frustrating because people don't realize that if you start a service and you don't continue it, like you're dropping it to the to either the city to continue it because we already like we already paid people already put people in place we already have the community that's engaging in that service and it's really hard to drop a service that the community has already been using and then we have to carry it. and what we once we have to carry it like that's more tax money that we, we have to raise our taxes and the more taxes we raise the more difficult it gets for people to to continue their livelihoods in in, in the city of london so that is very frustrating. Um, we have seen a lot of very challenging things with, with this government. Um, and we hope that, you know, given the, the, the way COVID has impacted uh, Canadian cities, um, that the provincial government will begin to invest more money. Uh, and the federal government has really stepped up in this area and has supported us while we were not being supported by our province, but we need more. Um, the problem is so big that even talking about recovery is like is is almost like a joke in a way because we're not really in a recovery yet because we still have to fix the problems that we had to fix a few years ago mm-hmm. and that had doubled since this government came in so yes it's a challenge um they're very difficult to work with they don't uh, necessarily always listen to experts and they drop things on us last minute so um, I'm not the best person to speak on how to work with this government because um, I, I'm, I'm ready for the next election. So <laughs> we need governments that prioritize cities. Mm-hmm. And you're not seeing that currently in London, which is very unfortunate. And we're seeing with the provincial government that they are, like you said, they're not listening to experts and they're kind of doing their own thing and expecting everyone to go forth with it. And we are still in a global pandemic. If you had told everyone that we would still be in this place a year later, everyone would have said, absolutely not. We're not seeing them prioritize the people in this province. And then, like you said, you have to rely more as a municipal government, you have to rely on the provincial, but now you have to actually go, the federal government is doing more of their job than the provincial mm-hmm. government, which I can assume is very frustrating to say the least. Very but, frustrating, yeah. So we talk about, so now we're in February, it's Black History Month. We've reached the last week of Black History Month, sadly. I believe. What do you want people to take away from this month? Especially considering that with last year, we had the rise with Black Lives Matter movement, and then we had you um, implement the anti-racism in London, the anti-racism framework in London. So what do you want people to take away from this Black History Month going forward? Um, I was in a class this morning uh, of first graders, and they one of them asked me a question. Um, is it okay for um non-black people to celebrate black history month i was like absolutely (laughs) this is the purpose of it you know uh and when you go back to the history of how it all started it was the intention was to reduce the level of racism that was perpetrated against black people at the time 
and to, even now. So the more everyone celebrates Black History Month and even in their families, um, don't wait to have a Black person present to celebrate Black History Month. It's, it's um, just let it be natural. Let it be as natural as you wake up and celebrate Easter or Christmas or, you know, um, I know there's a lot of controversy on who can and cannot celebrate. I think everybody can celebrate Black History Month. Um, do I think we need to amplify the voices of non-Black people during Black History Month um, for Black History Month event? Maybe not, um, because the purpose of it is to bring to light the voices of people who are not being heard right now. Um, hopefully, we will grow into a place where Black history is being taught in schools, we're reading in books, um, and we have caught up on the historical findings and, and focused on the future. Um, but in the meantime, I think what I would hope is for people to continue to see Black history as part of their history, um, to understand where we came from and where we're at now and how we got here and why we do what we do is important. Um, and to honor and celebrate all those voices and all the people who, quite frankly, have put their lives on the line <laughs> to continue uh, fighting for the rights uh, of, of, of Black people and Black communities um, is honorable and is important. And to begin to let go of the celebrations of the voices that have long oppressed uh, Black people, that have committed genocides against Black and Indigenous people, um, is honorable. So my hope would be that future generations, kids would no longer view Black History Month as a controversial thing, uh, but they will view it as, as a beautiful celebration, um, Black history to be part of their existence, to be part of who they are, because there's a lot of Black people who died for these countries to thrive and, and be where they're at today. And to be for, for our countries to be considered as first world, there was a lot of sacrifices that were made on Black lives. So, yeah. I also think for Black History Month, and like we saw with the with Black Lives Matter um, being amplified, I think it's very important that people educate themselves and not only put it on the responsibility should not only be on Black people to educate you as a non-Black person. Yes, we have our lived experiences. That's that's something that we have that you will not have and you may not understand, but it's okay to ask questions. Of course, don't think that you can't ask a Black person questions, but don't rely only on information from Black people. Do your own research, read books, educate yourself, watch um, films and stuff like that. Make sure you're also doing the work to educate yourself and not putting the onus only on Black people because we go through so much as it is and it's not fair just to put it, okay, I'm just gonna rely on this Black person to tell me X, Y, and Z, where we have so much battling, especially even as Black women, we're not only battling racism, we're also battling sexism and the intersectionality of those two. Absolutely. Do you currently feel like politics is a welcoming place for Black people? And if not, what more can be done to welcome them? I don't even know why you're asking that question because you know the answer to that question. Um, I don't think so. I don't think it's a very welcoming place for Black people. Otherwise, we'd see more Black people in it. Um, I think what we need to do is have more representation and um, change the policies that make it so very difficult for, for our uh, communities to be part of it. So, yeah. And allowing, and when these Black people come into them, giving them the space, because the space sadly was not created with us in mind. So when yeah. we're in these spaces, making sure Black people feel 
as safe as possible. It's one thing just to say, okay, you're a black person, you're counselor for London, you're MP for Math for um Hamilton Center, you're MPP for um I don't know Brampton West and stuff like that. But are you allowing black people to feel safe? Are you allowing them to speak up when they speak up about the anti-racism and so forth? Are you giving them? Are you saying, okay, we understand you, and we're actually gonna work with you, or just like, oh yeah, clap on the hat, like clap, give you like a pat on the back, and then just continue like nothing's going. Absolutely. On. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, absolutely, I agree with you. I think that there needs to be um, systems in place to support us, but that's also something yeah. that we can change through policies. But yeah, <laughs> again, I go back to the policies when there's a lack of strong and firm policies, like a lot of things are a free throw, so yeah. Two last questions before we end off. Um, this is like a very general question. So what can be done more for black Canadians as a whole, not just, and not just in politics, but as a whole, like what can governments do to better to help the help better the lives of Black Canadians? I hate to say this and to continue to repeat myself, but it's policies. Like we need better policies. We need policies to be able to have better access to education, better access to trainings, better access to jobs, better access to to good paying jobs, better access to, you know, um, the things that Black people need, you know, Black women need to raise their children, um, you know, to even, you know, we're changing policies so that our education system is also tailored to our children so they can succeed. Um, there's so much that needs to be done. But again, it all goes back to uh, the creation of policies. And I encourage um, other Black Canadians to really get involved in those policies because they're not going to change themselves. They're not going to make themselves. So we really have have to participate and um, even our presence is, is a way of protesting and saying we do not agree with these policies and we want to make sure that we change them that's how we can improve um, but not only the lives of black Canadians but the lives of many Canadians so um, racism actually affects a lot of other people in a way without really know, knowing that it's been it's affecting them but when we solve racism we solve a lot of issues all at once it's not race that's the factor, it's racism is the factor. And the last question to end up this amazing episode is what is one issue that is dear to your heart that you believe deserves more attention and needs to be talked about? That could be any format, that could be municipally, federally, provincially, it could be any topic that you feel Homelessness like and access to housing. Uh, there is no reason why there should be homeless people in this country. There's no reason why we don't have access to housing. And there's no reason why housing is, is at its lowest right now. It's the most deplorable. Like social housing has been falling apart for many, many years and it has not been touched or regenerated or, or renewed. Um, there's no reason why we should be paying so much money to buy homes as young people. Um, there's no reason why, you know, the, the way we think about homes and housing uh, is very twisted. And I think that's where the policy reforms really need to start happening by understanding that not just saying housing is a right to people. <laughs> we need to start doing and making sure that housing is a right. Uh, it is the foundation of a lot of things. Uh, people can't work well if they don't have a safe and adequate and accessible housing. People can't contribute to society if they don't have uh, housing that is created and tailored to, to their needs and, and can support them. So again, we need to stop building shelters and we need to start thinking about how we provide housing into, into this, this country. We have the resources, we can do it. Um, so that is something that 
I don't understand and will never even come close to understanding is very frustrating to me. And it's something that I've championed from the beginning to now. I, and I somehow continue to see the homeless population grow instead of decreasing. And it is absolutely unacceptable. And not only that, it's like when people actually do, the government had taxed them. Like there's the guy that was building shelters in Toronto. Now the city of Toronto is suing him for providing shelters and providing access to that's because the policy was created to be that way this system is built that way to oppress people instead of creating opportunities for people so he is actually solving a problem in his reach this is what he can do he's a builder he's a carpenter he can build homes and but the system the way it's set up it's illegal right so but what i would say to encourage him is that remember that the railroads were illegal the railroads networks were illegal. Uh, a lot of things that we're able to do today were illegal. Black people were illegal at some point, but here we are elected and sitting in council and federal government and all these places, but we were once upon a time illegal. So today it might be illegal to build those homes, but one day because of that protest that he's doing, we can change those policies. Those policies cannot remain and cannot overpower us because policies were created by people and we're here now, we're gonna change them. I love the way you ended this episode. Thank you so much, counselor, for taking the time of your busy schedule. Thank you so much for taking time. I'll leave her socials down below so you can follow her and stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.